Lord God, with thanksgiving, we come before your word and we pray that through the Holy Spirit, your word takes great deep root in our heart, lifting us up, seeing you, the Holy Spirit, our Lord Jesus, one God now and forever, praising you day in and day out. Amen. Did you know that our God knows we have a need to celebrate? Did you know that? That we have a need, a desire to celebrate. In fact, he has commanded us to celebrate. He even wrote it down for us. In one book of the Bible, it lists seven different festivals in which we are commanded to celebrate. What do you think the book of the Bible is? Leviticus, your favorite book of the Bible. <laughs> Did, what? See, everybody thinks just Leviticus is so serious and downer, but in Leviticus chapter 23, there are seven festivals that we, the Israelites, were to celebrate. Most people aren't very familiar with them, so I thought in the spirit of celebration and spirit of thanksgiving that's coming up, we could at least take a look at some of these in chapter 23. Now, the first one is not a specific festival, but the Sabbath rest often begins or ends most of the festivals. So it's a day, right, set aside for the Lord. But then going forward, and they are basically spring and fall festivals in the spring, there's Passover, that's generally in March or April, and it is about God's deliverance, remembering God's deliverance from slavery. Then right on the heels of that is also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's Passover and Unleavened Bread right next to each other, also, again, remembering God's deliverance from the Egyptians. Then a little bit later on, there's first fruits. That's the harvest, the beginning of the harvest, March, April. Then there is called the Feast of Weeks, also what we know as Pentecost. So it's 50 days later after uh, the, the Passover, 50 days. So that's kind of the end, so to speak, of the grain harvest. Those are the spring festivals. Then in the fall, there's something called the Feast of Trumpets. That's in September, October. It's about the end of the agricultural year and really entering into a sacred season. Then there's the Day of Atonement. This is the holiest day of the year for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. It's in September, October. Uh, we call it Yom, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And that was when the high priest would go and offer the sins on behalf of the nation of Israel. That was just on Wednesday, October 9th of this year. And then there's one last one. It's called Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And that's about God's provision in the desert. That one happened just a little over a month ago, October 14th uh, in this past year. So these are the festivals that God, in that book of Leviticus, said you need to celebrate. So they were days set aside, consecrated for the Lord. 
And they also corresponded with the, the harvests. So there was often a lot of food involved in them. Let me put it in really simple terms, what they were doing. They were to remember what God had done. They were also to believe in what God is doing now. Not just a God of the past, but a God of the present. And they were also then to be assured and receive in the future promises things that God had said he will do. So what God has done, what he is doing, what he will do to remember, believe, and receive. If that helps you a little bit, that's kind of our focus today. Remember, believe, and receive. See, without celebrations, without celebrations, we start to take things for granted, don't we? And when we start to take things for granted, relationships break down. Has anybody ever forgotten their wedding anniversary? You don't because you can't take that for granted, right? If you take that for granted and just kind of go, eh, whatever, you know that the relationship starts to break down. The same thing it is with our, actually even our national holidays, right? You don't have to go very far to prove this, because what's Thanksgiving now? Thanksgiving is the day before Black Friday. I mean, for a lot of people, that's what Thanksgiving is. Have you noticed all the Christmas commercials on there? Is there anything about Jesus? No, it's all about what you can buy, right? See, when the significance of that celebration is gone, then you just get the mere form of the celebration, And if you just get the mere form of the celebration, then you kind of go, yeah, what's the big deal? And you stop that altogether. This is why God said, you need to come together every week to remember, to believe and receive. You need to have certain festivals and celebrations along the way to remember, to believe, and then receive. Does this make sense here? So I thought that might be interesting because we don't talk about many of the Jewish feasts except perhaps for Passover or Pentecost. But I thought I'd uh, at least do one of the feasts that often gets just passed over, which is the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. So from our reading today, from Leviticus chapter 23, starting uh, with verse 40. And you shall take on the first day the fruits of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days, all the natives All the native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So that's what was commanded in the book of Leviticus. So what can we find out about this? Well, it was held after the harvest. It was the last feast, really, in that year. We also know that 
you were ob- obligated to go. There are three feasts, Jewish feasts, in which you were obligated to attend. One was Passover, the other was Pentecost, and the third was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so what you would have to do, you would, ha- you would travel, travel to Jerusalem, and you would set up these flimsy booths. And if you take a look and you want to go online, you can see all these different booths. How people make them now is generally out of fabric, but they were made out of bough branches. And you would live in that booth for seven days. And there was a lot of sacrifice to be given, not just ordinary sacrifice, but above and beyond So this was a bit of a hardship in some ways because you had to leave the the comfort of your home. You had to now go and live in this flimsy booth for seven days and offer a lot of sacrifices. So why did God say live in booths? Because when God brought them out of slavery of Egypt, they're now sojourners, right? They had no permanent place of residence. And this was to remind them that what they have is temporary. That God had led them out of slavery into freedom. And he had provided for them. But it was a temporary shelter until they ultimately came into the promised land, right? See, this relates to you and I pretty much, doesn't it? In Christ Jesus, aren't we brought out of slavery into the freedom? And don't we, in this fleshly tent that we have, isn't this pretty temporary until we receive the full promise of everlasting life? So we can actually connect all of these festivals to who we are as Christians now. They are a foreshadowing, so to speak, that shows us who we are now as Christians. And by the way, this feast is the one in which rejoicing was commanded. It wasn't just this solemn like, oh yeah, we got to go. No, you were supposed to rejoice in this. Even though you and I are, have our trials, our tribulations, that our fleshly tent doesn't necessarily work very well some days, Right? We are still to rejoice in the Lord. Now, for the Feast of Tabernacles, it was the end of the year, so it was also sometimes called the ingathering, and sometimes they even called it the uh, season of the season of our joy. Isn't that appropriate for our church here? The season of our joy. God had provided for them in the desert. Now they had the harvest. It was a season of joy. But there was something else that happened. Once every seven years, once every seven years, the law was read. Now you might start to wonder, why would the law have to be read? So the law, first five books, the Torah would have to be read. Why would that be? Because people forget God and his word so quickly. When people forget his word, people perish. The relationship becomes destroyed. If you take a look at scripture, every time that people leave God's word, they go into this downward spiral uh, as a nation. They were 
taken captive by the Babylonians. And you know, every time that the nation of Israel came back, it was grounded in his word. If you read about it, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, there was a reading of God's word. They read it all day long because that's how important, because that is what gave them sustenance. This is why every week we focus a great amount on God's word. Right? We, we not only have the scripture readings, the message itself takes a while because it is the focus of God's word. That is where we get our nourishment. In churches that do not focus on God's word, where it just becomes ritual, or on the other end, by the way, if it's just all a rock concert, have you ever been to churches where it's just pretty much a rock concert instead? On either end of the spectrum, what's missing is truly God's word. And what's really interesting with millennials now, what they're realizing is that they are missing significance. What they want is significance. They've done church as rock concerts, and they kind of go, well, that's fun, but I'm missing something here. They've gone to church where there's just pure ritual, and they kind of go, I'm missing something there. What's in between is God's word. When we do not have his word, we starve. And that's why every seven years made sure that the law was read, God's word was read, because the people would be starving for something more. You see, what's missing on this side? Rock concerts. What's missing on this side, which is just ritual? Do you know what's really missing? Jesus. Jesus and his word is missing. So now we're going to shift from remembering, right? Because it's not just remembering as in past, but it is the present and to believe in the present. So with that, we're going to go to the gospel of John where he feeds, Jesus feeds 5,000. So the context, Jesus has fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And by the way, it would have been more than 5,000 because that would have been just the men. So when you start to include the women and the children, it could be anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people were fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. By the way, this is also, John just notes, it was near the Passover. So this was another festival, another feast. What you also have to remember about Passover one commentator put it like this. It's the equivalent of the American 4th of July. You know, on the American 4th of July, everybody is patriotic, right? They all wear a T-shirt or something with a flag or a star-spangled banner. And there's a lot of at least patriotism going on. Whether it's true patriotism or not, it's a lot of partying though, right? With the Passover, national identity was at the forefront, it was a nationalistic zeal. And so when Jesus had fed them, fed anywhere from five up to where upwards of 15,000 people, they saw that and they wanted to make him king. And they wanted to make him king because that was part of their national identity. 
But Jesus wanted none of that. So he goes away by himself, and later on, he crosses over the lake to the other side. So this is where uh, we pick up our reading. Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, because they hadn't seen him that night, right? It's like, well, how'd you, when did you go? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus says, you missed the boat entirely. You saw the miracle. You saw that there were only five loaves, and yet thousands were fed bread. And you missed that sign completely. You came here because you were just hungry. You wanted bread. Now, bread, by the way, was very important. It wasn't just an add-on for our meal, because like every restaurant gives you, almost every restaurant gives you bread at the beginning of a meal, right? But in that day, bread was sustenance. It was something that if you did not have bread, you were malnourished, is pretty much how it went. So let me paraphrase what Jesus says to them. He says, stop yearning for the things that will never fill the void of your heart. These things that you want, this food that perishes, has no eternal value. Rather, believe and receive the one whom God has sent. It is from him and him alone that you will be filled and have everlasting satisfaction. Do you remember the song that we sang in the beginning, Wonderful, Merciful Savior? Our hearts are always hungry for? This is what we're talking about. That's in part why that song was there. The hunger of our hearts. Jesus says, you're filling your stomach, but what you really want What needs to be filled, you don't even recognize it when it's right in front of you. They didn't understand. They said, so what must we do to be doing the works of God? I have to admit, I I can appreciate what they said. It was pretty pragmatic, right? Pragmatic. I bet I would be one in the crowd with the people saying, okay, Jesus, I want that. Good. Now, give me a checklist. Tell me what I have to do. What committee do I have to volunteer on? How many meals do I have to serve? How many homeless people do I have to help? You tell me, I'll do it. Good, because I want that bread. That's kind of what they were doing here. What must I do to earn that bread? But Jesus is saying, you missed it entirely. The miracle that you saw yesterday, who I am right in front of you, I'm not talking about what you earn. I'm talking about a gift of grace. And it was given freely. You didn't have to earn it at all. The message that Jesus is getting, trying to get across is this. The work of God is that we believe in him whom God has sent, that you believe He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I want you to know something. 
They say, what works must we be doing, right? Plural. Jesus says, this is the work of God. One singular work. The singular work from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end is Christ Jesus and believing in him, putting your faith in him and him alone. That's the work of God that you believe. This is found throughout Scripture. You know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John chapter 3, And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is what we are to do. This is the work of God. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that the word believe is present tense, isn't it? It says, I believe. Not I have believed. Not I used to believe at some point. But, or, not that I will believe in the future, but I believe now. Here and now. This is the grace that he is talking about. But you and I have trouble with that. Quite frankly, you, ha- you and I, we do have trouble. We say, I-, I believe, but would you just give me a sign? Would you just tell me that you're around? Then I'll believe. It's, it's very similar to what they said with Jesus. They said, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate men in the, in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They were thinking, all right, we're with Moses, and with Moses, we had bread from heaven. And Jesus is saying, you missed that also. The manna, even even the manna you had, which perishes, which you couldn't keep past a day, is gone, that came from God. But now God has given you something eternal, bread that never perishes. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Bread that will give you eternal life. Their appetite was a little whetted by this. So they said, sir, give us this bread always. They finally wanted the bread that only Jesus could give them. And they not only wanted it once, but they wanted it continually. Give us this bread always. We want this. We're we're now starting to get hungry for it. It was like the woman at the well who said, give me that water. I want that water. So Jesus says to them this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
This is one of the I am statements that Jesus has given. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way and the truth of the light. Think about that for a moment. When he says, I am, present tense, right? I am the bread of life. Not I was or I will be, but I am. This is the same understanding that the creatures had around the heavenly throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I am. Jesus is our bread of life unto eternity. And for what you hunger after, he is the only one who can fulfill that hunger. And when you receive him, when you receive Jesus, do you know what the feast is? The feast is grace. You get a meal of eternal grace. Something that will satisfy you unto eternity. In Christ Jesus, you have the grace and you have the taste of salvation. Think of the greatest food you ever ate. The meal of grace and salvation is so far beyond that it is unimaginable. The grace of Jesus is a feast that satisfies unto eternal life. So we believe in the here and now, right? Not sometime in the past, not sometime in the future, but Jesus is, I am. I am. And then we do receive what is in the future. And to help us understand this, I want to share a little story. So my mom had a favorite story. And uh, when she died at her recept funeral reception, we put this on the PowerPoint So it's cycled through with all pictures and stuff. But it was this story. Some of you may know it, but I want to read it to you. So there was a woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She began in just several months to live. She was getting things in order, so she met with the pastor to plan her funeral. You know, she told him what song she wanted, what scripture readings she wanted, even what outfit she wanted to be buried in. And the pastor was going along with all of this. And then she said, oh, oh, there's one other thing, and this is really important. So the pastor leaned in and said, okay, what? She said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor was a little puzzled by this. A fork in your right hand? And she said, yes. In all of my years of attending church socials, potluck dinners, I always remembered that when the dishes were cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. She said, this is my favorite part of the meal because I knew what was about to come was something delicious, something of great sustenance. And so I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And when people come up to the casket and they see me with a fork in my right hand, and then they come up to you and they say, why does she have a fork in her right hand? I want you to tell them, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. 
the best is yet to come. This is what Jesus says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Oh, if you need assurance of what is to come, there it is. There is the assurance that Jesus will not let you go. And when you look upon him and believe, you receive the best that is yet to come. So we've got Thanksgiving coming up, right? Maybe... Maybe today on the Sunday, maybe today, next, uh, maybe this coming Thursday, you take a moment and not just have it be this thing that you do and get through, but you take a moment and remember. And maybe you read some scripture out loud to family and friends. And then you believe in the present tense, right? And then receive what is the best to come the promises of life with him. Isn't that a day of thanksgiving? And all the people said, Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. Dot com.